welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Jumping on the ABCA podcast this week is University of Tennessee Associate Director of Sports Medicine, Jeff Wood. Jeff just finished his 21st season with the UT baseball program. He's a baseball lifer in the athletic training world. His career path mirrors many of our players and coaches. Jeff grew up in West Virginia and did his undergraduate work at Marshall. After graduation, he started his AT career in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. He was named the Southern League Athletic Trainer of the Year in 1987. 2001 was Jeff's first season with the Vols baseball program, and that season ended at the College World Series. The 2021 season was Jeff's third trip to Omaha. Jeff has a wealth of knowledge in the game. This is a heartfelt episode on baseball, career path, keeping players healthy, lifestyle, and family. Let's welcome Jeff Wood to the podcast. Here with Jeff Wood, Associate Director of Sports Medicine at UT Knoxville. Uh, 21st season at UT, correct? Uh, just finished my 21st, that's right. Yep, Certified Sports Trainer. Um, you know, for people that don't know you, talk about your path a little bit in, in the game. Well, uh, for baseball, I've been... I'm, started out as a little kid, right? I mean, I was like a huge, I grew up back during the big red machine days of Cincinnati. I grew up in West Virginia. And uh, so I was a huge Cincinnati red fan and uh, just really wanted to be involved in baseball. And I'm not athletically inclined whatsoever. So uh, it wasn't, that wasn't going to be my path, but I was really interested in helping people in medicine. I was interested in medicine in high school. And uh, I found, uh, it was really crazy. It was, uh, we had a triple A team in Charleston, West Virginia. That was back when the old Pittsburgh pirates, the old Charleston Charlies and my neighbor, my parents were not involved in sports whatsoever. Uh, but my neighbor, she was, uh, she went to a baseball game every night. And, um, so she started taking me and one of the guys, one of the ushers who worked the gate, he would always give me a free ticket, uh, for the game. And he had always people give him tickets. So he'd always give me a ticket for the game. And we went about like every night to see those games. And, uh, you know, that was back geez, when it was, you know, all the great Pittsburgh pirates, you know, the, the we were family teams and all those guys and, uh, just had a great time. And, uh, 
like I said, I wanted to be involved in baseball. So God get hurt. Here would come this guy running out on the field, you know? And I was like, well, what's that guy do? You know, what's he doing out there? And they said, well, that's an athletic trainer. And, you know, he's, he works with the team. He spends all his time with the team. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. And then uh, I was like, that's one thing to get involved in. And then it just so happened a basketball coach who used to be my old grade school teacher uh, came and was the assistant coach at the high school basketball team uh, there in Winfield, West Virginia. And uh, he said, hey, we need somebody to, to tape ankles. He goes, you think you can do that? And I was in like ninth grade. And I was like, well, if you show me, I'll sure try. And uh, I knew from that moment on, I mean, as soon as I – did my first ankle sitting in the uh, high school gymnasium. Uh, I knew athletic training was going to be it. And uh, from the ninth grade on, uh, I knew it was athletic training. And and then it just so happened. I love baseball. And, and when I was in high school, I worked basketball, football, baseball, wrestling, did it all, did every sport. We didn't have an athletic trainer. That wasn't a thing back then, but I learned and went to the old Kramer student trainer courses and, uh, those things like that, and uh, just got in athletic training. And uh, then I went to Marshall University uh, down in Huntington, and uh, that was about 45 minutes from home, so it was close, close but not too far away. And so um, did that and, um, and was an athletic trainer there as a student athletic trainer to get certified and um, just wanted to be involved in baseball. So I started writing letters to every major league team. And, uh, of course, first year I got nothing but rejections, but uh, that was okay. And then the second year I wrote, and uh, I got a job with the Baltimore Orioles down in Bluefield, West Virginia, in rookie ball. And uh, that was back during the old uh, Billy Ripken days and uh, all those things. And that started my career in baseball. At Marshall, were you covering just baseball or were you covering multiple sports? No, we did all, I did all sports. Uh, we did, it was, you know, now it's, it's funny looking at athletic training now, you know, we have a football team. They have four full-time athletic trainers. They have, you know, they're there constantly. They have 12 student trainers. Well, back when I started at Marshall, it was the head athletic trainer, uh, the assistant, two graduate students and four student trainers did the whole, did the whole department. And that's what it was. So I did football my first year. I mean, I, I graduated from high school in May. And then in August, I was working two days at Marshall and uh, doing football there. And that was all we had. And so I did football. I did, uh, did basketball one year, did wrestling. Uh, we had a wrestling team back then. We did wrestling. I even actually drove the team van. Uh, I was one of the drivers for the team van and uh, did that. And, uh, and then did baseball, actually roomed with, uh, roomed, I don't know if people remember, but uh, Jack, uh, Jack Cook was the old head coach at Marshall. And I even actually roomed with him on the road. And uh, so I, I roomed with the head coach on the road and, uh, uh, you know, did football all those years and just had a, just had a great time. Uh, then luckily I got in, like I said, I got in baseball. Uh, back in those days, it wasn't, it wasn't like it is now, so. Uh, I started out as a junior and uh, a junior and covering, you know, first round draft picks. I was the, I was the head trainer in Bluefield, West Virginia, taking care of guys who, you know, of course it wasn't that much money back then, but uh, taking care of number one draft picks. And I was the traveling secretary, the clubhouse guy. And 
Well, we were la- we were laughing about it last night. I lived in the basement of the Catholic Church in Bluefield, West Virginia, and uh, just had a great time. I mean, there, there wasn't a care in the world, but I was I was living high. And, uh, so, do you feel like covering all those sports and and getting outside of baseball a little bit? Do you feel like that helps you now with just being baseball only? Yeah, I mean, I had I had a lot of great experience, you know, and, and learned from some great athletic trainers. I mean. You know, Ryan, I was, I literally did every sport, you know, and then when I was, when I got out of college, I was working, I went back as a substitute teacher at my old high school and did every sport there. You know, I was a substitute for the high school, did all the teams, uh, you know, and you just learn so much, but uh, I've always tried to get, you know, I, I just love athletic training. So you try to get involved anywhere you can. I mean, I did, it was uh, really funny that, the guy who I used to watch go on the field for the, the Charleston Charlies, uh, his name was Bill Norris. And he actually hired me to do some uh, professional tennis. He was actually the first athlete trainer in professional tennis. And he hired me to work there during, you know, before spring training would start in baseball. And uh, so did tennis. Uh, gosh, I've done, I've done rodeos. I did rodeos for years when I worked in the clinic and uh, did auto racing. I've done NASCAR, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it's all helped me to have a well-rounded look, you know, and uh, baseball is not just, you know, not just elbows and shoulders. I mean, we have a lot of other stuff too. So yeah, all that stuff's helped me. One of my former athletic directors, Tommy Bell, he started out in athletic training on the pro side as well. He was at Virginia Tech, and then he was in the Phillies organization for a long time before mm-hmm. he got into athletic administration. So he he loved yeah. his time as an athletic trainer. What takes you from pro ball to then working at, at UT Knoxville? I did pro ball for 10 years. I was with the Orioles. You know, I did two years in Bluefield, West Virginia, in rookie ball. Uh, I did four years uh, – before we, before we started, I think you talked about the Southern League. I was in the Southern League when uh, when that was uh, Charlotte. Uh, I started out with the Charlotte O's, and then it became the Charlotte Knights when they were Double A still. And then I spent four years there, and then went four years in Triple A to Rochester, New York. And uh, I met my wife. She worked. She actually worked for the Knoxville KJ's at that time. She was their media relations director, and uh, so I met her through the Southern League through baseball. And uh, we got married in 1988 and then went, I went to Rochester, New York, spent four years there, had, a, had two kids by that time, had two boys in Rochester, New York. Uh, so, um, you know, we were Southern, we were Southern born, but we were living in New York, which a lot of people got a kick out of that. And uh, all the New Yorkers loved to talk to me. And, uh, but we'd had a great time there. Rochester was awesome, but I was really far away from my family who was in West Virginia and her parents lived here in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, back in those days, you know, baseball was just getting to be more of a, you know, a big time deal, right? Money and agents and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it really had exploded and it just felt like the time was right to get out. Uh, You know, something, something told me to to get out of that. And uh, it just so happened. It was really, again, strange coincidences, but, uh, I was sitting there one night at the ballpark, like two o'clock in the morning. We had a long game and uh, I was listening to back in those days, uh, we had a, the NATA, the National Athletic Trainers Association had a job hotline. You didn't, it, well, there was no internet. We didn't have computers, you know? 
so that was way back before. I don't know if anybody knows, uh, you know, probably some of the guys listening to this show can relate to that, but we, you know, we had uh, no computers, no internet. Uh, so you just had to dial up, you know, your phone. And uh, I was listening to the hotline one night and they had a job open in Clinton, Tennessee, uh, which is where we live now, Clinton, Tennessee, for an athletic trainer to co- a clinic. And uh, that was when athletic training was just getting into the clinics and the physical therapy clinics. And they had a job for an outreach athletic trainer. And I listened to that thing, Ryan, I'll tell you, I listened to that job posting for about two or three weeks before I got up enough nerve to say to my wife, hey, you want to move back to Clinton, Tennessee? And she's like, no way. And I was like, well, I think this will probably be good for us. And so I did. I worked at, went there and we moved back in with two kids, had two kids at that time and uh, was next to her mom and dad, near her mom and dad. And we, you know, it was really great. And the clinic just got to be too much. It was uh, the people that ran it. It was run by two women and they did a great job. It was a great clinic. And, uh, but it was just time to move on. And again, just strange coincidences, you know, my life's been full of them, but uh, in 2000, uh, they had the trainers convention in Nashville, Tennessee. And so I was like, I'm going to go to the convention and, you know, have a good time and do all that stuff, learn some things. And we were having a Marshall alumni party, a reunion party. And uh, I wasn't even going to go. I was just like, I was tired. I wasn't going to go to the thing. And I laid down and I was like, you know, I better go to that thing. I just better go and see everybody. And uh, so I went there. One of my former classmates was the head basketball trainer at South Carolina. And uh, he had gotten that job just on coincidence. He had gotten that job. But he had been in, he was in uh, at South Carolina. And so I was telling him how bad I wanted to get out of the clinic. And his wife, who was also an athletic trainer, she said, well, why don't you talk to the basketball trainer of Tennessee and see if there's a job for, you know, for Jeff over there. And I was like, yeah, you know, I can't get in there. And, you know, I'm not, I don't have any ties to Tennessee. And, uh, you know, there's just no chance. And he went and talked to the basketball trainer at Tennessee. And their baseball trainer had just quit to go to law school. And they said – and of course, athletic training was small back then. So people knew me, you know, cause I'd work events, you know, and things. And so he went and talked to the basketball trainer. He said, Hey, we want to talk to him right now. And the guy came and found me. I met with uh, Mike Rolo, who was the head athletic trainer at that time. I met with him the next week and uh, he, they didn't have a, you had to have a master's to work in a college. Well, I didn't have a master's, you know, I went straight to pro ball. And he said, well, if you go and get your master's, he said, we'll pay for it. He said, if you get your master's, he said, then he goes, I guarantee you we'll hire you full time. And true to his word, man, I did two years of school as painful as it was at the age of 40 years old. I went back and got my master's degree and uh, uh, they hired me on this, you know, hired me as soon as I graduated. And, you know, that was that was 18 years ago, you know, or 19 now that uh, I did the first two years as a graduate student and been here full time. So uh, that's how I ended up in college baseball, uh, you know, to get here. And uh, it's been the greatest thing ever. I mean, it has absolutely been, uh, I am so blessed to, to be at Tennessee and be in college baseball. With the clinic setting, were you missing working with athletes? Because a clinic setting is completely different than working in a college setting or a pro setting. Did you miss dealing with athletes? You know, Ron, I, I, you know, I still worked with athletes. That was the thing. I was doing outreach to, uh, I was doing outreach to two high schools, 
excuse me, I did outreach to two high schools and did, uh, I worked football, uh, baseball, track and field, basketball. I mean, I still was working at all and, and working with athletes, uh, you know, at the high schools. And I would see patients at the clinic as well under the guidance of the PT. And it, it just got to be, you know, at that time, reimbursement was a big deal for, for PTs. And it just got to be too much. I mean, I was told, I actually was told that I, I spent too much time with patients and that I wasn't cost effective to them because I couldn't bill for this like we're doing now, sitting and talking, right? But all my patients were getting better. They were having a good time. I still, you know, people would come and want to see me and uh, they were like, You're, you cost us too much money. We need to, you know, and I was like, well, and I got to move on to something else because I'm not going to work here and not have a good time. And uh, that's when the Tennessee thing came open. And um, so, yeah, I got to work with athletes a lot. Not the caliber of athletes I was, I was used to, but uh, still I got to work with some really appreciative, pe- appreciative people. And that's where I started working rodeos. I uh, started working local rodeos here in Tennessee. And those those guys, those cowboys were awesome. I mean, uh, they they gave me, you know, gave me jackets at the finals, gave me belt buckles. You know, they would take up a collector that didn't charge anything, you know. So they'd take up collections at rodeos and, you know, give me some money for gas and things like that. So those were great people and great times. Uh, but it was just the clinic was, was enough that was all i could take that so 2001 first year with the program you guys go to the college world series oh you know i thought it was going to be like that every year I, it, it, you know? well in right. 05 then too so you go in the yeah. span of five year period where you get to go twice yeah. it's really not that easy to get yep. there i found out later it wasn't that easy uh you know i've had i've had a long dry spell but uh, uh you know yeah it was funny because we went uh, you know when I went with the Orioles in the Orioles in 1983, that was my first year, right? Well, we went to the World Series that year, won the World Series, and so I'm getting, you know, I go start with the Orioles, go to the World Series, and uh, I'm like, okay, this is pretty good. And then, you know, ten years later, you know, I come to Tennessee or you know whatever, and uh, you know, and then I get in Tennessee and we go right to the World Series. I'm like, all right, this is pretty good, you know. And uh, but here's the thing is, I think I got, I got beginner's luck because, you know, I don't think the Orioles have ever been back to the World Series again since 1983. So I think I jinxed them. And then I was beginning to think I was going to like uh, I thought the Tennessee program was done for. So uh, we were pretty bad. But um, uh, no, it was uh, it was really an awesome experience. And, uh, you know, I've had we had great players on that team. Uh, you know, Chris Burke was on that team and. You guys know Chris, and uh, you know it was just a fun. We had so much fun, and I thought that that was really the way it was going to be. And then, you know, and then '05, we went back again. Had a great team. You know, that was the Luke Coach Avery years, and uh, you know we had we had five guys. Uh, Chase Headley. You know, we had five guys from that team go to the big leagues. We you know, fa- we nice. faced Luke in his freshman year. He threw against us. I was at James Madison at the time. He threw against us in mm-hmm. a tournament first weekend, and he threw on Sunday yeah. against us. And I was like, "Ooh, he's gonna be good." Yeah, yeah that kid's gonna yeah. be good. He was a great pitcher and, and just a great person. I mean, him and he still lives here in Knoxville, 
That's kind of who he reminded yeah. me of was the the old arms that yeah. that Wichita used to have. You know, the Mike Drumwrights, mm-hmm. the that like all those guys that that were re- Darren Dreifert, that were just really mm-hmm. good arms and and could fill the zone yeah. up. Um, just was very impressive. Yeah. Yep, he was, and, and like I said, just a great person as well as a great baseball player, and. Uh, you know, but all those kids were good. You know, this, that, that team from 2001, they still come back here, you know, and, uh, you know, and it's funny seeing them. It's, it's really funny because now I've got kids who come to my camp, who come to camps during the summer and their dads played for me, you know? So, uh, I, I'm really going to be, if I ever get a kid who's actually, you know, his dad played for me and then he, he plays for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's going to be, <laughs> that's going to be a tough deal. How is this year's team similar to the 01 and 05 team, or was it a different type of team this year? It, well, they just uh, really, they gelled together really well. You know, we, uh, that was the thing, you know, that 2001 team had been together since they were like little kids. You know, a lot of them were Knoxville natives. They played, you know, they played little league together and, and they, they were just all together, you know, and they had a great time. This team this last year, uh, they just really, they loved having fun. Uh, you know, they had a great time and they really never thought they could lose. I mean, that's that team in 2001. Uh, you know, I would get, I was a little more intense then than I am now. And I would get so mad during games, you know, and they were like, Woody, what's your problem, man? I'm like, well, we're losing, you know, and they said, don't worry, don't worry. We're going to win. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And sure enough, they come back and win all the time. And, uh, you know, and so this team was the same way. You would get through a weekend and you, you look back and you realize, hey, we took two out of three this weekend, you know, or or whatever, or swept this weekend, you know, and it would just happen and it would just roll along. And those guys would just have so much fun doing it. And, uh, uh, yeah, they were – that was the that was the kind of thing. They just gelled together as a team and, and had a lot of fun. I saw your I saw your first game against LSU and the Supers. So I, I saw that that game. I knew you guys were. I knew you were going to get there just after watching yeah. you guys. I hadn't watched you guys all season, and and knew you guys had played well all season. But it was fun to be in that environment. Uh, you know, the stadium oh, yeah. was packed. Uh, there were people outside watching on the big screen that couldn't get in. I thought the environment was tremendous. It was. It was the most. It was the most fun environment I've ever had. You know, even even in two thousand one, two thousand five. You know, the excitement wasn't generated like it is now. You know, we don't have as much. It's not all TV and, you know, and all the hype and everything. Uh, you know, somebody asked me when I got back from Omaha this year, you know, that was my first year in the new stadium. You know, I've been to the old, you know, old Rosenblatt and I've been there twice. And, you know, right, it was just it's just totally different. It, I said, you know, now baseball, college baseball is a huge production. Yeah. You know, it goes down to the minute, you know, they're doing things. You're, you're going to do this at this minute. You're going to do this, this at this minute. And, you know, before it was just like, ah, well, we show them we play a game, you know, and it started, it starts, but now with TV and everything and just excitement level. I mean, this stadium was unbelievable. I mean, I couldn't, I, I never heard it that loud and that intense, even, you know, even when we were down in games, you know, toward the end when we're down, I mean, the crowd is still standing and screaming and, you know, cheering. And, uh, and, you know, as coaches said, I mean, it was, it was an intense environment and you had to 
some of us, some of us a little rude, you know, some of those fans were a little uh, off a little bit, but uh, you can't fault them for their enthusiasm and their support of us was, and these kids, uh, you know, it was just unbelievable. Every good team I was ever a part of, player, coach, the trainer, and you just hit on it, the trainer cared just as much as everybody else in the program, whether you won or lost. And, you know, I, I think it's such an important piece. I say this a lot. Oh, yeah. I think your trainers, one of your most important staff members. I think your strength and conditioning coach is one of your most important staff members. You know, did, did you always have that that competitive drive as the, the AT that you wanted those teams to win? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I always wanted to win. You know, that was the thing. You know, you know, when you're in pro ball, you can't, you know, we played back then, we were playing 146 games or whatever in, in AAA or whatever. You can't win all those games. But still, you know, you want to win every game. And um, and in college, it's even, it's just more intense. You know, we, these kids put in so much time. You know, right? we got guys, you know, they start in June, you know, or July. Uh, we bring you know, our, our freshmen come in in second session of summer school to get used to this college environment. And, you know, they're, they're working out and working on their own and playing. And so we start in July and then, you know, August, the next group comes in and you're going from August to, to Thanksgiving. Right. And you go through all that. And then you start the season in January, you practice and again, and people would say, Oh, you know, you're so lucky that, you know, you get to go, you know, you're, you get your summers off. Right. And I'm like, no, I want to win. I've invested since July of last year, you know, in this game, I want that to pay off for something, you know, I've invested, I mean, hours, you know, and I was just like, I, I, I need to have more. Well, and you know the pulse of the team. You're around guys in the non-competitive setting in the training room, so the trainer knows the pulse of the team maybe better than the the coaches do at times. I, I think you know, but uh, I will I will admit that the, the training room. You know, we try to have fun and you know and have and do a good job. And the and the and the kids they they talk about more stuff sometimes than what I like for them to talk about. I'm, I'm a little older, but. Uh, you know, they're still kids. Right. And uh, so, yeah, you know, when they're tired or when they're, you know, frustrated or, uh, you know, especially during those teams when we weren't when, you know, they would bring all that into the training room and, and wouldn't, you know, wouldn't understand it. I'd be frustrated. And the coaches are frustrated. And, uh, the players, you know, they question their abilities and, and all those kind of things. So it's tough. Uh, but luckily we have a great staff. I mean, our staff is awesome here now with, with coach Vitello and his assistants, coach Anderson, uh, and we got a great strength and conditioning coach. I mean, he makes my job super easy. I mean, they really, and I've always been lucky to have great strength coaches here at Tennessee. Uh, you know, I've always had a good one. They've all been baseball oriented, you know, and I hear that complaint sometimes, you know, when I go to other places, they say, you know, well, we, we've got a football guy. He doesn't understand baseball. And, but for us, we've always had baseball guys and, they have done a tremendous job. Make my job super easy. Have the kids changed much in 20-plus season, or are they still similar to how they were in 2001, or have kids changed? Uh, well, kids have changed. Uh, they they have really changed a lot. They, Ryan, it, it just the game is so different now. You know, back when we first started, we didn't have showcases and, 
and academies and, and all these, you know, showcases that they have now, we didn't do those kind of things. And, and neither did our kids here. You know, that was, that was not a thing. And so those kids were more uh, blue collar, let's say, you know, and now these kids now, their parents invest so much money and time into them to take them to all these lessons and take them to showcases and have them be seen, you know, all across the country. Uh, and so those kids are a little bit more entitled, I think, you know, they, you know, and parents as well, you know, I don't know, I don't know who all listens to this podcast, but but parents as well, you know, they want a return on their investment, you know, honestly. And it's very frustrating to, to try to be doing the best you can for kids and, you know, dealing with some parents who really think that their kids are next level. And we all know that, you know, not everybody in college is the next level. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I hate to, I hate to be sour, but that's what, that's what happens. Yeah. And, and I'm, not, I'm sure coaches deal, you know, coaches, you know, in this association deal with that. And we talk about that a lot on this podcast that, you know, this is kind of the generation that we're in, but you can still find ways to get kids to buy into those team concepts, even though we're in a, a different generation. Ooh. And I thought your guys' yes. team last year was a good example yeah. of that of getting everybody to buy into those teams concepts playing. I thought your two strike approach was phenomenal. You know, that was the the most impressive thing when I watched you guys last year was I thought to a man, everybody was buying into a two strike approach, trying to move the ball with two strikes and play the game the right way. You guys played hard with yes. energy, with passion. So I think it's a good example that yes, this is the generation we're in, but you can still get kids to buy into some of those team concepts. Yes. Oh no, no. These kids are these, these kids are different, and you know they're a little bit entitled. They don't know his game the game as well as you know they used to. But they buy in. It's because our coaches support them so much. You know they know that Coach Vitello is in their corner every second of the day, right? And Coach Anderson and and Coach Elander, and they know that they're going to support them every chance they get, and so they're going to play hard for them. And, and do whatever it takes to win. I mean, they really, uh, that is the Tennessee, that's a hallmark of the Tennessee teams now is they buy into the, they buy into the program. They play hard. They love, you know, they loving, they love nasty weather. You know, these I mean, it's miserable out there. Sometimes we have turf, you know, now and it's, it's miserable out there sometimes. And these kids love to play in it. They love to do whatever they can. To, to play for this coaching staff and and win. You, you kind of touched on a little bit. What are some ways for coaches to, to tie in their trainer to the program? I think it's a huge component. What are some ways for coaches to, to maybe tie the trainer into the program a little bit more? Well, I, I think that, you know, we're in a good situation and, and, and the SEC is in a good situation because they have – everybody has a full-time athletic trainer. And so you're there, you know, you're there for – every early morning workout, you know, you're there for everything. And I don't know, necessarily know that the coaching staff here hasn't treated me any different than the other coaching staffs, you know? Um, and really, to be honest, I think we're kind of, I'm kind of more, I'm really not considered staff as much in this program as I was in some other, other things. But I think that they just, what they do for me is they let me, do what I need to do to take care of the players. They listen to, to what I say, uh, you know, and, and this coaching staff is great about that. 
they just, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to listen to your athletic trainer. You know, we are not here to sabotage a program, you know, or, or do anything. That's, that's what we get accused of sometimes, you know, uh, when I was in pro ball, they would say, you know, old coaches would say, you trainers are ruining the game. You know, you're too soft on them. Right. And all we're trying to do is protect the investment. You know, that was money. Right. And so you try to protect that investment. All we're trying to do at the college level as an athletic trainer is not to get kids hurt, you know, and to get them back as quick as we can. And every coach has to believe that. Uh, I don't know of any athletic trainer who wants to get their coach fired or get them to lose a job. You know, I've told, uh, I've told coaches in the past, I, I don't want to lose you as a head coach. I'm not out to get you, right? It does me no good. I want to win as much as you do. And uh, I think I think coaches just need to understand that, that we're here to help them and to help them win, but also to protect those players so they can, if they got the ability to go to the next level. Uh, you know, I don't want to see a kid ever get hurt and uh, and and do that kind of thing. Uh, you know, and I get frustrated when a kid gets hurt and I can't get them back quick enough. Uh but by the same token, I feel really great when I look on the field, you know, at the College World Series and, you know, and Max Ferguson or Liam Spence or, or Connor Pavloni and, you know, knowing those guys are going to go to the next level and play and that those guys were all hurt at various times of the year, but you were able to keep them healthy and keep them, let them play at that, at that level. And uh, I don't want to be, uh, you know, I don't want to be seen you know, people, people tell me all the time, you know, now they say, Oh, I saw you on TV, you know? And I'm like, I don't want to be seen on TV. You know, I just want to be the old guy standing in the corner watching the game. Uh, you know, Cause if you know the trainer, that's probably a bad sign, you know, but uh, cause you know, he's out on the field too much, but I hate to see a kid get hurt and I uh, uh, love to get him back. But I think every coach needs to understand that athletic trainers are, are not there to, you know, to ruin their program. We're there to win just as much as they are. For a young trainer listening in, how do you handle that, That where you know someone's not ready? Give a young trainer listening and maybe some tips to have that conversation with a coach that a player's not ready yet. Well, I think that, you know, and again, I haven't had to deal with that for a long time because, you know, I've been around so long that coaches will listen to me in most cases. Now they'll question me, you know, uh, you know, and wonder why things are the way they are. And I think a young athletic trainer, you just have to, you have to explain it to the coach and say, look, these, we did these things and they're not ready. When I look at a player in baseball, uh, I, I look at them and watch them on the field. And, you know, I tell them all, I say, I'm not here to keep you out of the game. I want you to play, but if you're limping or, or, or visibly in pain, I can't let you play the game. I mean, that's, you know, you're not any, doing us any good. You're not doing yourself any good. So I think athletic trainer who's in baseball, um, I think a baseball athletic trainer just needs to know the game, you know, and really know what it takes to play the game. And, uh, you know, I think that's where I have a strong suit is, is I love the game of baseball. You know, I've always loved the game of baseball. And uh, I love watching the game played right. And I love to, to know what they do. And, you know, know their mechanics and know a pitcher's mechanics. And I'm not a pitching coach, but I think I think the young athletic trainer has to know the game 
be able to communicate to that coach in his terms, you know, why that kid can't play. And I think if you explain it that way and show that you're right, um, you know, I think you'll gain that respect over time. You know, um, the situation happened here uh, back my first year with, with uh, Coach Delmonico, uh, who I still talk to to this day, um, is, a, is a good friend. And uh, a thing happened where we had a player, and I told him, I said, Coach, I said, you can't keep using this player like that. I said, you're going to, you know, he's going to wear out eventually. And, you know, of course, Coach, you know, it's like, you know, I'm not here. I'm not going to hurt anybody. Don't ever question me, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, that kid ended up getting hurt. And I still think to this day we could have won the College World Series that year in 2001 2001, if we would have had that pitcher. And, uh, you know, because we were putting up amazing run numbers, if anybody remembers back in 2001 with the old metal bats. The hot bats. Old Rosenblatt. Yeah, and, you know, and, man, that thing's up. We were scoring runs, you know, left and right. But we didn't have have that one pitcher who could stop it. And, you know, Ryan, after that year – Coach never – and I think he knew that. And I think from that day on, he never questioned anything I ever said. Uh, and I was lucky in that respect that, that he had enough respect for me that, you know, I, I unfortunately proved myself right in that case. And he never questioned it again. And now this coaching staff I have now, they they just – I mean, I can't thank them enough for letting – for keeping me, you know, around. You know, we don't – that doesn't happen much in baseball, but where they get rid of athletic trainers – as it does in other sports, but I've been really blessed that they've come in, that they came in, accepted me as the old guy, you know, and still listen to what I say. And, uh, you know, because they know that at the end of the day, I'm going to do whatever I can give them the, their nine players that they need to win on the field. And I think if a, if a young athlete trainer does that, I think that, that they're going to prove themselves over, over time. And what about dealing with the player? You're dealing with competitive athletes what about maybe an athlete that wants to try to get on the field maybe a little bit quicker than maybe they should what about those conversations i'll, I'll have guys like that you know all the time thankfully that, that want to play and want to want to be out there and usually what i do right is i'll give them a little bit of i'll give them a little bit of rope you know and they see themselves that they can't do it you know uh i know probably that they can't do it but they have to prove to themselves that they can. And I'll tell them, I'll say this, like I said before, I'll let you play, but if you're visibly in pain or not performing up to what I know you can perform at, or you're limping around the field, then, then I got to take you out. You know, you're not going to do yourself any good. We got to get ready for the next game. You know, if this is a Friday night, we got to be ready for, you know, Saturday and Sunday. And uh, you know how important that is in the SEC and we had this situation this year, you know, where play, players had to sit out a game. But coach would, coach sometimes was more conservative than I was. You know, he would say, "Don't worry about him tonight." And I'm like, "Well, I think he goes, don't worry about it tonight. We'll, you know, we'll try it again tomorrow." So, uh, I think sometimes I'm a little bit more aggressive than what my coaching staff is. How have assessments changed over the course of your career? Are you using similar assessments now to to test out injuries, or or have some of the assessments changed? all the all the tests are still the same you know we still if you're looking at the shoulder you're still doing you know different tests we've done for you know for every every year since i've been in baseball you know the thing about baseball has changed is back when i first started in baseball 
we didn't have Tommy John surgeries, you know, and we didn't have late, we didn't have arthroscopes, you know, and so we didn't have, uh, we didn't have shoulders where you could look in and see what was going on with the shoulder. Uh, to be honest with you, we didn't, we didn't even really know what a, a torn labrum was, you know, because back then they would open up a shoulder and it would just fall apart, you know, and they, you couldn't see anything. But once the scope came around and, and Dr. Andrews and all those guys came into being, you know, that you could see what was going on in the shoulder. And, you know, Dr. Andrews did the research and his group did research and you finally knew what was going on. And then, you know, now I still sit back and go, oh, my gosh, I remember that guy back in, you know, 1992. He had this going on, but we didn't know what that was back then. You know, so so that so sports medicine has totally changed. You know, back doing an ACL surgery, for example, you had to be in a cast for six weeks in an ACL. You know, that was what we had to do back in you know, back in those days. And now six weeks, well, my gosh, you got to hold them back because they're doing so well. And, uh, you know, so all, the, all that medicine has changed. Evaluations are still the same. Um, but just the, 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 the medical aspect has just evolved so much. The surgeries, those kind of things. Um, what are some of the different know, and, treatment and, and recovery modalities you're using now? What, what are some of the differences between treatment and recovery now as there was back then? Well, you know, back then, when I first started in baseball, we didn't even have strength coaches. You know, so I can remember back in those days when, when we started pro ball, we didn't even have a strength coach. You know, um, I still remember the first year we had a strength, you know, the strength coach. And that was me. They, you know, they had a guy, they said, look, we're going to do, we're, we want to implement this program. You're going to have to do it. You know, and that first year I was in, the, we had strength coaches and I was leading the stretching. I was the only one that got flexible, you know, because players, <laughs> athlete players wouldn't even do it, you know, but now everybody sees you know, what the recovery involves. So now, you know, we have, you know, the, the Norma and the game readies and, uh, you know, the Mark pros and on all these different things, uh, you know, that people are doing nutrition is so huge now in recovery. Sleep is so huge in recovery. Um, you know, Ryan, I, I don't know how many people do this, but I don't even ice anybody anymore. We don't ice anybody here. Uh, you know, we do all the other things, the, the Mark pros and the, and the, uh, the Norma techs and all those kind of things to, to help that recovery process. You know, they've got nutrition is so good. Now, you know, we have full-time nutritionists and we have full-time strength coaches. So all that aspect is the game has totally changed. You know, we didn't, you know, I can still remember in pro ball, you'd stop at the seven on 11, you know, after the game and eat your, you know, get a hot dog off the thing. Right. And that's what you're, that's what you're, post-game meal was and you know now here in college i mean we have you know full meals uh you know we have a nutritionist we know we do body composition stuff um you know all these things that we're doing to help these kids perform better and prevent injuries and all that has prevented injuries so that's our recovery stuff is is sleep uh hydration nutrition uh, the modalities you know to move to move fluid and to move the blood and, and, and all those kind of things to start that healing process. And that starts, you know, the night, the night they pitch, they go right to the weight room. As soon as they get out of there, you know, or if on the road, they do something uh, in the dugout uh, and then do their lifting when they get back to the hotel or something. So it's, it's an ongoing process. 
uh, every day. Yeah, Gary Reinel from Mark Pro was on with me last year, um, and to, he, you know, he's an anti ice guy, so we talked oh, about yeah. that a lot. And yeah. I knew I knew where you were heading in the right direction at Western when we weren't icing. I, I knew we mm -hmm. were doing everything that we needed to do for our players because they weren't icing. They were using Mark Pro, right. the Normatech, the Game Ready. Right. Those were all the things that helped. I thought, I think that's the advancement. I know we have, we still, you're still going to have injuries. You know, if if you're playing sure. a sport, you're still going to have sure. injuries. You know, and you're heading into that time of year right now with fall ball where you get started again, where they're they're starting to, to be more aggressive with the running and the throwing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How, how does a coach out there know if it's general soreness or maybe they need to, to shut things down? Uh, well, that, that's that's a tough one, especially with, with young kids, because a lot of these kids come here and they don't even, you know, they've never been in a formal lifting program or a formal run. I had a guy the other day tell me, uh, he came in with, uh, with shin splints and I was like, well, have you, did you run? I mean, were you running? And so he goes, I've never run in my life. Right. And so that's, you know, you get some of these guys, they've never even run, you know? And, and so uh, all those things. So you just, just experience wise, you know, it's, it's just, and baseball coaches are good at this too, to know that, you know, you're around the game, you know, what normal soreness is and, you know, I always get guys who freak out, you know, at the start of fall ball when they get a sore shoulder or a sore elbow. And you're saying, and you say, hey, it's that's just a normal part of getting back into it. You know, the, the body, you know, all these guys are sore when they first get back into it. But the thing is, too, though, Ryan, is these guys go year round now. Right. So they never really have a whole lot of dead time off. Uh, you know, so we don't have a lot of that like we used to. Uh and guys throw more than they used to position player wise, you know, they'd say, go out and get your arms loose. And two seconds later, it'd be back in the dugout. And you're like, what are you doing? They go, well, I'm loose. Well, no, now we, now it's a regimented program, you know, to throw, get these throws in, get your arm in shape, keep it in shape. And, uh, you know, the pitchers have a whole program, you know, coach Anderson is so great uh, about a whole program that these guys do you know, of, of band work and throwing. So I think a coach just experience wise knows when they, when it's an injury and when it's not, you know, if usually the guy, the guy I look at is, you know, if, if both your legs are sore, well, you know, it's probably not an injury because how you hurt both legs at the same time. Right. Uh, you know, if, uh, if, if both arms are sore, well, you know, it's not going to be a shoulder problem, you know, and, but guys get worried because that's, you know, that's what their future is. But usually if it happens on both sides of the body, then it's not a, it's not a big problem. You know, that's going to be some soreness. That's a, that's a good guidance to go by. Anything different with the return to throwing protocol? You know, say you have a guy coming off an injury, anything different with the return to throwing protocol now than maybe you were using in the beginning? Uh, still use, uh, you know, again, Dr. Andrews and, and his, his people, uh, you know, we still use that same throwing program that's that, interval throwing program that Dr. Andrews developed way back when, you know, we still use that same exact program. Uh, maybe not depending on the position or whatever, maybe not go as far as the distance, you know, uh, that, that we go. Uh, I've seen some guys who, you know, I think that program goes to like 180 feet. Some guys really can't tolerate 180 feet with that volume of loads, you know, so you have to back them off each once, you know, it's a little bit individual, uh, had that happen this year with a guy coming back. He never really liked to throw really long, you know, as a, as a pitcher. 
and he didn't handle it well. So we had to modify the program and bring it back in a little closer, but it's still, you know, really, uh, that's, that's still the same program that we use. If it's, if it's a kid who's not coming off of surgery, then we accelerate it up quite a bit. Uh, we might, you know, starting at 45 feet, you know, like the old program goes, you know, we might start at 60 or 75 or even, you know, something like that. Uh, so it's just, it's really just based off of, you know, has the kid been out for 10 days or has he been out for four or five months? You know, that's, that, that determines how fast we move that program. Um, so it's, again, it's um, nothing is set in stone, but the, the old program is still probably the best. When you get your freshmen in there and you're doing your assessments on them, can you tell the kids that have played baseball their entire life and haven't and have specialized at an early age? Yes. Yep. You know, uh, they're not as uh, they're not as symmetrical. You know, from one side of the body to the other. Uh, uh, you know, they're much tighter. You know, in that throwing shoulder. Um, you know, and we can even, we even do X-rays on all our kids when they come. All our pitchers. We do elbow x-rays and you can see, you know, the wear and tear on some elbows and those kids have, 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 you know, played since they were little. And I think that, you know, I encourage anybody. And that, that's the other thing that game has is, is, is changed as well, Ryan, is they specialize so early now. And, you know, and I have parents call me and and they'll say, hey, my kid's six years old, you know, and he's really special, you know. I'd like to get him into, you know, a program, you know, to, so he can, you know, pr progress his baseball career. And I'm like, please, you know, let's let them play what sports they want to play. And, you know, and, and if you want to make a well-rounded athlete, let them play soccer or, or, you know, let them play basketball or, or football or something like that. Uh, you know, and because they need to, they need to be well-rounded and those kids who come in, uh, you know, you can see the wear and tear on their elbow and their shoulder already, you know, from the age of throwing like six years old, um, they're tighter. And, and if you see a shoulder that's really tight in this group, that's really tight in internal rotation when they're that, you know, when they first come in, then, then that doesn't, that doesn't bode well, you know, but we have kids come in here with really tight shoulders, you know, already come in and already had Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, so those are the guys, you know, who, who specialized in baseball at an early, early age. As a parent listening in and, and you have a child that's maybe is specializing, what are some things that they can do to kind of help that if they are locked into that one sport? And I don't know if we'll ever get back to where kids are playing four or five sports. I hope we do. But for, for a kid that is just specializing, how, how do you help them, you know, a parent listening in right now? Like, here's what your son needs to do in the off season to kind of help get things balanced back out. Well, they, you know, it, it depends on, you know, again, what age, but you know, if they've been, if they're playing just baseball, then they need to take some, they need to take two or three months off from throwing. You know, you need to take time off from throwing, you know, and, and give that body a chance, you know, do some other cross training type activities, you know, uh, and let them get out and enjoy themselves and, and, and play. You know, I see so many kids at, at that age, gets tired of playing. They just get sick of playing. And that's a shame, but, you know, I'm not, I think parents sometimes, you know, I thought all three of my boys were special, you know, but they weren't, they weren't, they weren't all great baseball players. I can tell you that because their dad was, 
the trainer. So, you know, they didn't have much athletic ability. And, uh, but, you know, bless their heart, they tried. And, uh, you know, but so I see all these kids, everybody's kids special, right? And I think a lot of times that parents want too much to live their life through their kids and they push them too much. Uh, I, I say, you know, let the kid play what he wants to play. Uh, if he loves baseball, he truly loves it, then let him make him take some time off in that off season. You know, not sitting, play, not playing video games, but you know, getting out and and just becoming a well-rounded athlete. And, and yeah, the active recovery piece is important. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, that's what we do for our kids. It's active recovery, right? Well, like I said, we don't ice, and I don't even like for them to sit and do, you know the Mark pros and the Norman text, all those things too much. I like for them to be out, you know, get their running in, do their band work, be outside, you know, uh, in the sun and getting, you know, getting the recovery piece of it done. And, uh, you know, there's, there's room for those passive modalities, you know, like we call them, you know, the Norman text and the, those kind of things. But again, there's nothing, if you're, if your arm is sore and it's just normal soreness, Go play catch at a, at a less intensity, not off a mound at less intensity and play catch. Get the blood moving and and use the same muscles that you're using when you're pitching, but at a, at a different intensity level. That's how you get rid of muscle soreness. You know, guys will, back in the day, you know, they would not throw for a couple of days, you know, and, or we would say, well, if you're sore, take a couple of days off. Well, that's not the way to do it. We've got to you've got to have an active recovery piece into it. And, and that's what we're seeing. That's what we do now. What are some other things that maybe thought at the time, great in theory, but not great in practice? Uh, well, uh, ice was the big one. Yeah. You know, ice is the big one. Uh, you know, it just really, I think the trouble we get into is, is especially in the, especially in the United States is we think we've got to do something. We've always got to be doing something. Right. And if not, then the other person's getting ahead of us, right? That's that's the competitive thing. But a lot of times, right, it's better to do nothing, right? Just let the thing just relax and calm down. I think that, uh, you know, again, I, I hate to keep saying it, but the, the ice was the big one. Uh, was was It's great in theory, but, you know, now it's not even the right theory, I don't think. And it's not good in practice. I think that prolongs things. Um, well, yeah, you look at how the thing, icing, the icing research was done. It wasn't even used in, in what the ways that people thought the ice was being used with the research that was out there at the time. So, I mean, I think that's the thing that Gary's brought to light is right. this wasn't even used in, in the right prescription and what they were telling people to yeah. use it. Yeah. I think that, you know, that, that's one thing, but you know, if you go to a, uh, you know, if you go to these uh, showcases or, or high school games or anything now, you know, uh, just go into, you know, everybody, you know, every mom and dad has, you know, bought a fancy ice pack or, or bought or bought game readies. You know, I see kids now come in, have their own game ready or their own STEM machines and all these things that the parents have bought them. And, you know, I think some of that's just overkill, right? I mean, we're doing way too much. But, you know, if you want to see something, go to go to some of these things and see the amount of ice that parents are using or or having for get a headache and go to a game, get a headache and say, does anybody have any, you know, ibuprofen? Oh, my gosh. Every parent, you know, has got a, 
thing, right? And I think, and I can't, you know, I, I, I've not seen research on this and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that one of the reasons is that we have so many UCL injuries and, and Tommy John surgeries is we, we kill the inflammatory process. You know, we ice them, we give them, we give them ibuprofen before they pitch and we give them after they pitch and as soon as they get done. Right. Because we've been taught that, and, and I know that Gary talks about this. We've been taught that inflammation is a bad thing, right? Inflammation is, is the best thing because that's your body healing itself. We're not smarter than the human body. And I, and I think that the reason we have so many uh, Tommy John surgeries and UCL injuries is, is one is overuse is overuse, but, and, and not being, you know, not being in good enough condition to, to do some of the things they're doing. But I think a lot of it is, is we don't let that inflammatory process happen. Right. We, uh, we give them ibuprofen before and after they pitch, we, we ice them as soon as they come out. And so the inflammatory process, we stop that. And so the body that takes three days to occur, give that body three days to do its business, then it builds back that ligament stronger and better. It's like lifting. You get sore two days after lifting, right? Because the body is repairing itself. And right now we, like I said, people think they've got to do something, right? And so you get ibuprofen because inflammation is a bad thing. When I get guys who are hurt, you sprain your ankle. I'm not going to ice it. I'm going to do a Mark Pro or some other stem units with it to move fluid and if it's really swollen the next day, oh, well, I mean, that's the body now, you know, we'll get rid of it. But you want to see that inflammatory process happen. And sometimes, you know, that takes a little bit of pain, a little bit of discomfort to go through that. But I think that's one of the biggest keys. Again, and I might be totally wrong, but over my, you know, I've been in athletic training for over 40 years now. And I really think that that's one of the biggest mistakes we've made is, is using anti-inflammatory medication way too much and using way too much offense. Completely agree. How are you relaying injury reports? Are you doing daily injury reports, weekly injury reports? How are you relaying your injury reports? We, we do. Uh, it used to be, it would just be the coach coming by and saying, hey, Woody, what's going on today, right? And so that's what we did. But then Coach uh, Coach Vitello, he wanted, to, he wanted to kind of a daily update. And um, so I, during the season, I'll give a, day, a, a daily update to all the coaches and just give it by email. And, uh, you know, and they'll see the injury report for that day. And, you know, I divide it up into, you know, who's out, who's totally out, who can do some things, where they're at in their progression, you know, say a throwing program or whatever, or they can hit today and what they're doing. So we do that daily uh, during the season. Uh, as a matter of fact, Coach Anderson came by the other day and goes, hey, are we going to? you quit doing injury reports because I haven't done any in the fall yet, but we really haven't really, you know, we're still, we're still getting, you know, getting guys, you know, in, in to doing their thing. Right. So, um, you know, it's not even really that formalized yet. So, you know, I haven't started doing that yet, but we go back and we just do it daily and it, it works out good. Just the program we have, you know, is kind of, it, you can kind of bring it forward from the day before. So it just kind of, and you can just change one or two things and, uh, I think that that way kind of every coach, if they read the report, knows what's going on. 
And uh, sometimes it's a challenge getting them to read the report. You'll say, well, I said that. And they go, oh, I didn't read it today. You know, so because they get busy, right? So they're, they're busy too. I always tried to check it, just one, to see progress. And I think it helped as a coach to open up your lines of communication with your players too, that you knew, you know, even if it was just they're coming in for treatment, you saw that on the report that, okay, that's mm-hmm. maybe something we need to talk about here. Just make sure guys are, are comfortable and, and doing okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the coach needs to know that, you know, even the guys who are out there performing at 100 percent, you know, you know, as in baseball, you know that you're, there's guys who are out there playing or hurt. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. Right. And so uh, especially when you're playing four or five, six games a you know, week uh, and in pro ball, you're playing every day in a lot of cases. So I think that there's guys out there who are performing, but it's always good to know that, hey, you know, he, he's out there practicing, but maybe he shouldn't be running, you know, running bases hundred percent today, or, or, you know, he's got a wrist problem. He can do some defensive stuff, but let's, you know, cut down his swings in the cages or something like that. And cause these players aren't going, the players aren't going to say anything, you know, they're not going to say anything to a coach. And, uh, you know, I'll have a player come in and he'll say, Oh, what do you, this is, you know, this is killing me. And the coach comes by and goes, how are you doing today? Oh, doing great coach. You know, and I'm like, you just told me you were hurting. What's you know, and so they, they're not going to tell that. So you want you want a coach to know that, hey, you know, he can he can swing, you know, he can take some swings in the cage, but let's don't go extra rounds, you know, and things like that. Uh, that happened just the other day, you know, guys had missed a couple of days and he goes out there and he's just coming back and he goes and takes all the rounds of BP plus it's extra because he wanted to work on his swing, but yet he's just not coming back. Right. So. Hey, take take a little slow, man. We're in, we're in September, you know. This is not February, so I think that's educating the player, you know, to those. And the coach is good. Like I said, my coaches are good about that. They'll say, "Hey, just take this take this round off right now, okay? You know, we know you're battling this, and so let's just take it easy." And the coach won't think anything less of a player for doing that. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you? Um, again, just uh, it was really a tough decision to to get out of pro baseball. That was that was a hard thing because that had always been my dream, and uh, you know that uh, that was what I'd always worked for. And then all of a sudden, the realization of like you know this might not be the thing, and. So I don't think I, really, I didn't really fail at that point, you know, because I had to raise a family and all that stuff. But that still is the best thing that that ever happened to me was was getting out of professional baseball. It's a great career. It's awesome. But the the amount of fun I've had doing this job and, you know, Ryan, I haven't told people to this day. I've really I've never worked a day in my life that I know of. It's never, ever been work to me and uh, never worried about the pay I was getting. Uh, You know, I never worried about that. And I was always fortunate to be in this environment working with these kids. And I've never, ever worked a day in my life. And that's still true to this day. And um, so but getting out of pro baseball and getting into the to the college life was still the best and been at Tennessee was the best thing that ever happened to me. Do you have any morning or evening routines that you like that, that you do just about every day that you feel like help you? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a thing that's really, uh, 
really made a difference in my life. As a matter of fact, three or four years ago, you know, we, we were going through losing seasons and, and doing those things where we really weren't been successful. You know, that's hard on the trainer too. I mean, that's, it's frustrating. And uh, so I, you know, I was even thinking about getting out of getting out of athletic training because it wasn't fun at that point. And over the past two or three years, I think it was probably two years ago, I started doing uh, uh, Qigong in the morning, which is like a, a, a Chinese uh, martial art kind of thing. I do Qigong in the morning. And then that got me into um, uh, to meditation and, and, and drinking tea, uh, you know, drink, not just your little tea bags. You know, I, I, I'm a tea snob now. I drink, uh, you know, I get loose leaf teas from China and I brew them up and do all these things. I've got my special pots and my special tea kettles and all those kind of things. Uh, so I'm a real tea geek now. So every morning uh, I got to get up uh, every morning. I get up at 5 a.m. I uh, do uh, I, I brew my tea. I'll sit and I'll drink tea. I'll meditate. Uh, I'll read some, uh, I'll read some, you know, some spiritual literature stuff. You know, right now I'm into to Buddhism and reading all about that. And so I'll spend an hour or so doing that every morning. And that just gets my day started the right way. And it just really, it's like the other day we had to, we had to work out at 638, you know, 630 in the morning. I had to get up at four o'clock because I still had to do my hours worth of that. It's, it's that non-negotiable for me. Now I do it on the road, uh, on the road. I walk every day. Um, you know, every morning I walk for an hour, I'll do my meditation. I'll do drink my tea. Um, I've kind of got away from the gong a little bit. Uh, I need to get back into that, uh, especially as I've gotten older, but, uh, those things just started a couple of years ago. That's my non-negotiables in, in life. That's that really, and it's changed my outlook on life. I, I am so feel so much better now. So happy. You know, I'm, I'm not even close to, to retiring right now. So. So, all right, let's backtrack. Cause I wish I'd have known this in Omaha. Cause you're, cause I'm a meditator too. So now let's start with the tea. Yeah. Like, cause loose leaf is hard to work with my, my wife and daughter are tea drinkers. So how are you mm-hmm. getting the loose into the, how are you steeping the, the loose sleeves? Oh, well, uh, you know, there's there's two or three different ways to brew tea, right? If you if you look at the old you know Chinese stuff, and so we have uh, you just have simple leaves in a bowl, you know. So uh, like this morning, uh, I just took some loose leaves, you know, some bigger leaves. You take your hot water and you you put the loose leaves in, and you just let it set in a bowl, and you drink it in a bowl, right? And then uh, if you do that, then um, and then I got a uh, a side handle teapot that you put the leaves in, you put the water in and you let it steep, you know, and you have this whole ceremony you do. Right. And, uh, so that doesn't, uh, they, those leaves won't get in your, in your cup or in your cup or bowl. I drink out of a bowl usually every morning. And then you have fancy, you know, gong fu tea, they call it. And that's a little, little, little teapots and little cups. And, uh, that's kind of a, you know, for different things, but, uh, yeah, that's how I brew it every morning. Cause you know, but and I love just drinking out of a bowl because it, it's so simple. It, it's just really, and my life now is all about simplicity. You know, it's the way I handle the training room. You know, simple stuff. Uh, it, it's how I try to handle my life. Is you know, it's a simp- 
simple things and uh, you know that just that just kind of perpetuated even more it's just it's just a simple lifestyle and, and i think that's the biggest thing you know even i they they kid me all the time ryan because uh, if you notice today's friday so i got the orange it's it's orange friday right so i even have a shirt you know i have a color for every every day of the week you know just to simplify my life it's khaki pants uh, you know, and a certain color shirt, uh, you know, every day of the week. And it just makes my life, you know, I just want to be simple as all as, as all it is because, uh, I've been fancy, you know, and, uh, it's, it's just not the way to go for me. So what about the meditation piece? Cause there's so many very different variations of meditation. Mm-hmm. I do transcendental meditation, but mm-hmm. what, yeah, sure. what do you gravitate to from a meditation standpoint? I, I, I'm really just into just uh, just sitting and, and just following my breath. And, you know, that's what I do. You know, I started following, um, uh, I'm sure some of y'all may have heard of, of Ram Das. You know, I, I started out following Ram Das, you know, two or three years ago and, uh, and started meditating the way he talked about. And then now I'm kind of into, into Buddhism and, you know, and, and doing, uh, uh, they call you know like zen they call it zazen just sitting and just breathing and you know thoughts come thoughts go and uh you just just breathe and that's it and i'll do that for a little while and uh not as long as i want to but uh, i have uh i see what you got there i see what you got be here now yeah do you know that uh, this is the 50th anniversary year of be here now Set. For people it that sure don't is. know Ram Das, um, yeah. it's a great story. He was a professor yeah. at Harvard and got kicked yeah. out of Harvard. It was back in the '60s during the psychedelic movement, and yep, he was he went was overseas and came and, back and was a different person. Yep, and a different person. And uh, I still listen. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, if you're if you're really if you really geek out on Ram Das, they're actually doing a for the 50th anniversary. They're doing a uh, a 21 day. Uh, course of his going over that book and uh and doing that and uh yeah that 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 really pretty much changed everything the way I, the way i do everything that that book and ram das and i listened to his podcast i listened last night to a podcast listened to it yesterday morning which one uh while the guys were uh he's he's got a podcast on the be here now network it's called be here now and they're still continuing, you know, Ram Dass passed away a couple of years ago, but they, they're still continuing his legacy. And it's, uh, so they'll do, I mean, he recorded every talk he ever did. And so they're bringing up these talks. I listened to a talk last night from like 1969 or something at Yale university uh, where he was doing a thing on, uh, on reincarnation and that kind of stuff. So uh, really listening to him and, and, and following that, it's kind of taken me into, you know, like I said, the Buddhism and things like that. But it, it's all about the same stuff. It's all about going within yourself and, and and finding, you know, everything we need is inside us. And it's just quieting down and finding it. And that's what Ram Dass, you know, espoused, you know. And, uh, you know, his story was amazing with what he did with his, his guru and all those things. And But it just evolves from that. And, you know... Uh, it's, it's really, that for me is just so, such a big part of my life right now is because it's calmed me down. It's made me relax. It's made me see things in a different light, you know, that, 
and uh, yeah, so we can talk about that. Great documentary. They they followed him and and talked about his life, but then his end of of life at the end um, followed mm -hmm. him. It's a very yes. very moving documentary. Yeah, he uh, as as a matter of fact, I just uh, I was in uh, I was in Maui. Uh, three weeks ago for our strength coach uh, got married over in Maui and uh, he married a, a girl who was the athletic trainer for women's basketball and uh, just, you know, love both of them so much. And so we went to, luckily went to Maui for their wedding and uh, you know, that's where Ramdas lived. And I was literally, uh, I mean, mere miles from where he, where his, his house was and, uh, because of the pandemic, they wouldn't let people come to the, they have a memorial there now. They wouldn't let people come, but they invited me to come to his, uh, to the Sunday afternoon uh, talk and, and singing. And uh, I couldn't go because I'd already made plans with my wife to go. We were, we were going to travel around uh, Maui that day and we had rented a car. So I couldn't go. Uh, but I mean, to be so close and, and not, be able to get it. It's kind of frustrating, but, uh, you know, I had a great time in Maui anyway, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just what he became and, and excuse me, what he became and what he did for people and what he's still doing. I mean, it's still, I mean, his legacy lives on and, you know, you talk about destiny of things and, you know, I was always, I feel like I was always destined to be at Tennessee and be the athletic trainer here for as many years as I had. And, you know, he was destined to do what he did. And he still, you know, what they're doing now and perpetuating his legacy is, is still life changing for people. And uh, uh, yeah, so I, yeah, it's just amazing. I could go forever, but probably coaches don't want to hear talk about that. So I, there's more out there than you think, and it's good. You know, yeah. I, and I always love asking the fail forward moment question, but also routines because we get into some areas that you don't normally get into because everybody has mm -hmm. things that help them get through life. Life is hard and, and we have challenges yeah. and, and things yeah. happen in life that, that we don't expect. Uh, I just lost somebody really close to me last week. And, you know, I, mm -hmm. you have to have those tools that help you get, because if not, you can get sidetracked really easy in life because, because bad things are going to happen. You know, I lost, uh, I lost my son, you know, my son passed away. I had, uh, my youngest son passed away, uh, three years ago now and uh it's it was just devastating and i think that you know that moment made me realize that there's so much more to life and then you know the pandemic came and 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 you know and we you know getting the season stopped that year was just crushing and you know because we thought we were going to be so good but we knew we were going to be good and you know to lose that but then again that time it took me it, it gave me a chance to sit at home, recharge my batteries, you know, develop my Qigong, develop my tea practice, develop my meditation and all those things. And, and now from that, you know, seemingly terrible event totally changed the way I look at life now. And, and it's given me a kind of a peace and calmness. And that was directly related to COVID. I mean, it just, just changing my routine and instead of the rush, 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 it was taking time. And now you find out that you have time to do all those things before you said, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. Well, we do have time. You know, like I said, it might involve getting up at 4 a.m. some days, but we do have time to take for ourselves and, 
and care for ourselves. And, and that only, that only makes us better for other people, makes it better for my wife and my family, uh, my two remaining sons and their grandchildren or my grandchildren. And it's just really given me a peace and calm. No, my wife doesn't think so. I don't think she thinks I'm very calm, but, uh, it really has, has it's given me a little time to, you know, to woosaw and, you know, just relax. And uh, these players still think I get, get kind of wound up sometimes, but it's nothing like it used to be. It's much better. I am, that, that's, I'm a team. Yeah. That's why I enjoyed it yeah, because a, I, I still would get – and I still, I still, you know, there's moments where you get excited or, or you get frustrated, but the, the pause is better and my response is better. I just feel like I'm a better human being because of all those things where in the past I would react to something and, and, and you always regret that after the fact. Yeah, I always do. I sure. still do. Yeah. yeah, I still do. Who, who I, nudged I you, who nudged you kind of in, in the, direction of of tea and meditation did you find that on your own or, or who kind of nudged you and said hey there's some that was go ahead completely on my own it was just you know going through i think one day i was looking at facebook and it came up for this free five-day uh holden qigong course from lee holden out in california and you know i was like you know what i've i actually got a book from him you know, several years ago, because I was going to try to do it then. And I just didn't do it. And I got time now to do this 20 minute routine. And then, you know, from there, he talked, he starts talking about tea and you, and you get into that and you see all of that involves. And like I said, you know, even the Ram Dass thing was completely, I think Ram Dass was before the Qigong, you know, it was, you know, for some reason, I'd always thought of Ram Dass, you know, and, and, you know, what's that saying when, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And I think it was just that time, uh, things that, you know, losing my son and, and, you know, and that stuff just made me look at things more spiritually. And that's how you found Ram Das. And from there it was, you know, Qigong and then, you know, it was meditation and it was, it was just a whole series of things, you know, that just kind of all worked together because it was that right time. And, um, you know, I truly believe that that's the only way things happen is, you know, is it, it just it just flows in a sequence when it's ready to happen. And, um, you know, I think that's the way my life has always worked out. It's like, you know, even way back to the stories I was telling you, you know, an hour or so ago, all of those coincidences, you know, is, you know, it just worked out that way. And I think my life has been full of those, you know, just the only reason I met my wife was to because she had set up an interview with Billy Ripon on a live TV show and her and my manager got into it in a big fight. Uh, you know, and I was like, no, yeah, no, Skip, I'm going to like sue this over with that poor thing. You know, and he goes, well, do what you want to. I don't care. He goes, I'm not talking to her, you know? And so 30, 33 years later, I'm still making the you know, up for his mistake, you know, and uh, you know, all those years, but that's how I met my wife, you know, and it was just that's that circumstance, you know, and just little things and, you know, getting, getting here to Tennessee and, um, you know, again, it's all been those things. And now my life has evolved into, you know, the meditation and the tea and, and, uh, and all those kind of things. Right. And, and looking at this reading spiritual stuff, you know, it's just really changed everything I do now. And it, but it's all been, 
it just kind of flowed. You know, it just never really was one event when you said, let's do this. It's kind of evolved, you know. Like I heard Ram Das for, you know, years and years, right? And, but I never looked at his book until, you know, three years ago. You know, I always heard the name and thought it was, you know, some guy who got kicked out of Harvard and went off and was, you know, doing drugs and, you know, going off and nothing. Well, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You know, it's not even the right thing. And, um, and just, you know, all those things just kind of flowed in my life. And that's just kind of the way my life works, I guess. What are some final thoughts or, you know, favorite memory of your time? I mean, you've had some great ones, taking three teams to the College World Series, or what are some final thoughts you have? Well, I think, I'm, I, like I said, you know, I'm just so, you know, I'm so blessed to have the job that I have. You know, I have, like I said before, I've, I've never worked a day in my life. You know, I've been involved in athletic training since I was 14 years old, you know, and I'm going to be 61 at the end of this year. So my career has given me everything, but baseball has given me everything in my life. You know, that's uh, right. I, I, you know, you can't even explain, you know, like you, you met your wife through, you know, I was in baseball, met great friends, met my wife through baseball, you know, uh, went to, I've, I mean, I've traveled, uh, we didn't even talk about this, but I've traveled uh, with the, um, the MLB used to have a, a European program and, you know, I've got to travel to China, uh, you know, through that program. I've been to, I've been to Italy like, like six different, you know, six different times to Italy, been to the Netherlands, been to uh, Germany, you know, like I said, been to China, been to, when I came here to Tennessee, you know, one year we went to Cuba, you know, and so, just the experiences I've been able to have in my life through baseball, just through baseball, it has been the most amazing thing. And I think that's why I still have such a love for the game is it's, it has defined my life. You know, uh, this will be, uh, what is this? This will be 30, 32 years in baseball, 32 years. Can you imagine? I didn't think I was going to live to be 32. You know, when you're, when you're 10, you think 32 is like ancient. I've been 32 years, just nothing but baseball and the people I've met, the places I've been, you know, when I grew up in West Virginia, you know, China was, you know, communist country. You couldn't even go there. You know, Cuba, communist, you couldn't go there. Now here I am a country boy from West Virginia. I never even been on a plane before. You know, I had to fly to Miami to go to spring training the first year I was with the Orioles. I'd never even been on a plane before, you know? So, uh, Baseball, I am so thankful just to to have baseball in my life and have athletic training in my life and to be able to be around what I still consider to be the greatest game with the greatest players, the greatest people. You know, I had the best team on campus. That, that They're irritating sometimes, okay, because they're kids, but uh, I still have the best, best team on campus and, you know, I am just so thankful to just just to have the the life I've had, and you're not going to hear me complain about the life I've led because it's been for a, for a small town boy from West Virginia, uh, it, it's been amazing. My life has certainly been amazing. Thanks so much for sharing, Woody. Oh, uh, thank you for asking me. I, I hope I didn't delve into too much talk, but uh, I'm pretty much known for talking. 
No, so, it's uh, good. I really awesome. appreciate the opportunity. That's the great thing about baseball is you meet so many good people along the way. So mm -hmm. it just happenstance running yeah. into it in Omaha at the hotel and yep. we get to talking. So that, tremendous. That was COVID too, but that was COVID. You were sitting down there uh, while we were COVID testing yep. and uh, right. Yep. And just having to start talking. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, it's just been amazing. The, 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 the stuff that happens in life. This is one of the reasons I love doing the podcast. Uh, you never know what rabbit holes we're going to head down. Everyone has a story to tell. I appreciate Jeff's willingness to share his story. If you're going through a tough time or have lost someone close to you, please reach out to those around you. Even talking briefly about it may get you some closure. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok at coachb underscore abca. Instagram Ryan Brownlee 17 or direct message me via the MyBSA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks and leave it better for those behind you. Don't have